working together for the good of the whole. But there is something very special as well that happens when different groups of believers that normally just meet together with each other come together to worship God as one. There is something very special that happens. Uh, Just as an example, day camp. Day camp when Little Lake Chapel and and Grace is a Grace Church and uh, the UP Bible Camp all came together to worship and serve the Lord and share the gospel, the good news about Jesus with almost over 160 kids. And on Friday, being able to also share that with the parents and the friends and the family of those kids when they came on Friday afternoon, that was really something special. And I just, I love the fact that we are here together to to gather and share about that. We were just singing the song about Praising God's great name, Redeemer, my healer, Lord Almighty, Defender, uh, something, something, you are my king. Yeah, yeah, whatever. It's fine. Defender, my Savior, you are my king. Thank you. Absolutely. I wonder if we understand how incredible it is that we can hear the name of God and say that at God's great name, the sick are healed and the dead are raised, the fatherless find their place, all of these wonderful things. Not every religion will say that. There are some religions that at the sound of the name of their God, they're filled with a great deal of fear. Will I be accepted? Will I be rejected? Will I be loved or, or not? Some of them, the concept of love of God doesn't even come into play. Our church has been working through a series on the book of Romans. Uh, and, man, Romans is a fantastic book that is just full of the gospel. If you want to know what Romans is about, you don't have to look further than the 16th verse of the first chapter where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. It is God's power to save every believer. Romans is a great book about the gospel. In fact, I would say if I were to have, if you were to ask me, Adam, what book would you recommend to someone who has not trusted in Jesus Christ for the free gift of everlasting life and they want to know how to have eternal life? I would send them straight to the Gospel of John. No, yes. oh, wait, no, that's not Romans. Well, if, if you ask me uh, what is a, a fantastic book for um, talking about the nature of the Gospel and how it compares to law, I would send you straight to Galatians. Right, that's not Romans either. But Romans is a really great book because it talks about the power of God, not just for saving us from our sins, not just saving us from hell, but also the power of God to save us here and now in our lives, to experience God's power for us believers here and now as we are walking through our lives and trying to understand how to follow our God. Romans is a great book. Now, you might read through and you might see that every once in a while in the book of Romans, does this thing go? There's a clicker and there's a thing. Now, that's supposed to be more dramatic than it was. What? It's the right hand one? I'm going to just trust you. Click. There we go. Now, we talk about the gospel 
and the value of it. And I just want to give you an illustration real quick. We have here several very famous paintings, very famous, very well known. We've got the Mona Lisa and Starry Night. Uh, I think that's called Girl with a Pierced Ear and, uh, and The Last Supper. These are re- pretty famous pictures, pretty well known. Pretty expensive pictures, too. Click. There we go. Girl with a Pierced Ear. If you want to buy that, you better have $30 million on hand. The uh, the Starry Night, over $100 million. Mona Lisa, $782 million, if you want to get that hands on, your hands on that and call it yours. The Last Supper, I couldn't even find a, a price for it. They just say it's priceless. And they say that there was one person who made in 2001 a copy of it that sold for $23 million. It is, all these things are incredibly valuable. So here, I want to ask you a question. Let's say that you were in debt to someone and you owed them $99 million. You're not going to pay that off in your lifetime, right? But let's say someone said, you know what? I want to pay that debt for you and I will give you Starry Night. Sell that for $100 million and then pay off your debts. That's an incredible gift, isn't it? Now, what if you said, wow, that is so great and that is so valuable. But you know what? I would like to have more than one million dollars left over after I do that. So I'm just going to take a Sharpie and I'm just going to add a little bit of Adam to that Starry Night picture. Will my efforts and my work do anything to increase the value of that painting? Will it become one hundred and fifty million dollars because I added a little bit to it? Absolutely not. My effort added to the work of to the masterpiece that had been made only detracts from the value incredibly. So we're working our way through the book of Romans. Click. Perfect. You might re- uh, if you ever read through the book of Romans yourself, you might be wondering, like, how is it actually uh, organized and and how does he work through that? You'll notice that every once in a while, Paul will be talking and saying some things, and then there will be a little question and answer time where they're asking some questions, and Paul says, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. This is the answer. What Paul is actually doing is the book of Romans is filled with five little mini-sermons followed afterwards by a Q&A session where Paul says, now if you can be following me and understanding everything I've said so far, but then veer off track afterwards. And so I'm going to answer some questions to get you back on track before we move on. And we have Paul talking here through the need for God's power to save, then receiving God's power to save. He goes for a couple times through the benefits of God's power to save. Then chapter 9, followed by chapters 10 and 11, is God's power to save Israel. And then finally he talks about how he can display God's power to save. This is an incredible book, and it's actually really well organized if you're trying to look through. We are, click, right, actually in our message right here in chapter 3, verses 19 through 26. We've just gotten through the first two and a half chapters of Romans, and we have basically discovered that we are all pretty much terrible people. That there is really not nothing good about us. If we are not rejecting God, then maybe we're judging people who are being really bad people, but we're doing the same things ourselves and only adding to our own judgment. And let's say we have the very words of God ourselves, God's own law. Does that mean that we're any better off? Absolutely not. Because 
our knowledge of God only increases our condemnation. There is no way that through the law, through our works, we can work our way to God through our efforts. Click. Thank you. Which is why we have good news about how it is that we receive God's righteousness. And we're going to see that in these seven verse, eight verses. We're going to be taking a look about how God's grace relates to the law, how God's grace revealed to us comes through redemption, and finally, how God's grace is uh, related to the righteousness of God. Let's take a look first at chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, where Paul says, For no one will be justified in his sight, in God's sight, by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. This is so important for us to know. Next slide. Again, one more time. Because we think about the, the law and how we are supposed to be relating to God. And many, even within Christianity, might say, you know what, the law, is, it might not be the way to, uh, to God, but it sure is the way to get close. You know, if you want to, to have eternal life, then Jesus dying for your sins is incredibly important. But you also need to really mean it. You really need to, to show it. And, and if you work hard enough, then you can really be convinced that you are actually going to be going to heaven because of Jesus and because of you and because of your works, your obedience. But the thing is, the law never promised us that we can get to God through our works. We can never have confidence that we are definitely going to heaven because look at me. And the law never claims that. Ever since the beginning, the sacrificial system was whole, the whole basis of that. The burnt offerings, the sin offerings, the day of atonement, all pointed to the fact that we cannot get to God because we keep on messing up again and again and again. And we need something to be sacrificed in our place. It has to be through that. The law and the prophets that pointed back to the law always, always point into our ultimate need for God's mercy, for God's grace, for a different way to get to God than through the law. So what is the answer then? How do we get to God? That's where we get to verses 22 through 24. And by the way, when I was a kid, I was going to uh, Awana as I grew up. There was a song that we always sing, Romans 3.23, and it was absolutely beautiful. Uh, I'm not sure I can sing it well, but it basically goes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Aren't you glad that you don't have two little lake people uh, listen to me leading music? Anyways, it was absolutely great when you have a whole bunch of kids in a room and you start doing it in two parts and around back and forth. It was great. But I got really mad one day when I looked at my Bible and I didn't just read Romans 3.23, but I read the two verses sandwiching it because Romans 3.23 leads me to a sense of hopelessness. But the verses around it give me such great news. Romans 3.22-24 says, The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
Since there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are separated from God. We cannot get to God. Through our works, through our efforts, we are breaking God's law. We are turning away from Him, suppressing the truth that we know. How do we get to God? How can we be right with God? The answer is through faith in Jesus. For all who believe because of His redemption. Did you know the fact that you are basically horrible people is good news? It is good news that you are that we are all horrible people. People look at Christianity and say, say, oh, you just condemn me. You say that I'm horrible and, and I think I'm a basically good person. You know, if I go to church a little bit, if I pray a little bit, I'm almost there. I just need to do a little bit more and God will be happy enough with me. But how much do you have to do if it depends on you? God never really says. He never says, if you do X, Y, Z, then you can be absolutely confident that your works have made you good enough for God. The fact that you cannot get to God through your effort is great news because God says if you owe a $5,000 debt, maybe you can pay that off. If you owe a $500 million debt, the only way to get out of debt is through the gift of God. It is great news because you can't turn it so it's given away free. Next slide. There you go. And the key is redemption. This $5 word, which you've heard a lot of times, especially if we've been part of churches, but it's so important for us to know because it is the fact that it is through the redemption of Jesus that we can have this. What is redemption? Redemption back then was basically in ancient Roman times. You go into the market and sometimes they have a slave block with people who are chained up and they can't uh, and they're going to be sold to slavery. Let's say that I went to the market and I, I normally don't get slaves. But one day I see that Ron over there is on the slave block. Can Ron get himself out of slavery by paying himself off? Absolutely not. But what could I do? I could pay the price to buy Ron as a slave and then once he is mine to say Ron you're free I can buy him for the purpose of setting him free of giving him freedom because I paid the price that he could not that is redemption and that is what God does for us Sometimes we look at the concept of the gospel and we say, no, it can't be that easy. It can't just be that God does the work and I trust God and and it doesn't depend on me. It has to depend on me. I have to show that I really mean it. I have to really, I have to make declarations. I have to obey. I have to do this. I have to do that or else. And if it's not, if you take works out of it, then grace just becomes cheap. But the fact is, That is absolutely not cheap. The grace of God is a masterpiece of our Savior, of our Lord, of our God. And when I take my little sharpie to God's work of saving me, and I say, God, you almost got me there by your death and resurrection, by paying for this sins. Wow, you are so close. All I need to do to really get there is add a little bit. You're adding a little Sharpie to the Starry Nighter, the Mona Lisa. You are not increasing the value. You're detracting from it. It is free for you 
because it is so costly for God. And because of that, we can know that God is righteous. Let's take a look at the next couple of verses. Romans 3, 25 through 26 says God presented, by the way, in those words in brackets in the Bible are actually just he's and hymns. I just added those in. But remember that that's Adam's additions there. God presented Jesus to demonstrate God's righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented Jesus to demonstrate God's righteousness at the present time so that God would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Next slide. You look at God's grace and you say, how can it be that God can be right to do these things? There are two questions that we have. First of all, his mercy and not having judged the really horrible people of the past, the the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Genghis Khans. How could God have allowed that to happen? How could God not have judged that and stopped that back then? Why did he show mercy? And second of all, how can God possibly be declaring righteous people who obviously are not? I'm a better person than that person. Why is that person considered righteous? It all comes back to the price paid by Jesus, the redemption. The redemption of Jesus proves that God is right to do what he did. First of all, his mercy. Why is it that God did not show, prove, did, that God did not judge all the bad people immediately? Just before they even did a bad thing, he said, ah, I see what you're going to do there. Bam, stop it. Or you just did your first bad thing. Bam, you're judged. Why didn't he do that? Because he would one day pay for every one of those sins. His judgment would come down. But his judgment would come down when Jesus would say, I identify with all these wicked, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad people who can never earn my way to him, to me, who deserve my judgment. I identify myself with them, so God, bring your judgment upon me so that they don't have to face it. God's judgment did come on the person of Jesus. So our sins do not have to be paid for by us personally. And that means that God is also right when He declares us to be right. Because Jesus, when He said, I identify with this person, you know what the good news is? That means that if we choose, if we trust Him, we are identified with Him, with His righteousness. So that when God looks at you, have you ever wondered, like, when God looks at you, does he, what is His expression on His face? Is it a smile? Is God, is it an, if an angel says to you, oh, like, hey, what do you think about Adam? You say, oh, well, Uh, Can we just talk about someone else? (laughs) No, God, when he sees me and you who have trusted Jesus, he sees Jesus. He sees perfection and he beams at the thought of you. Even in the middle of your troubles, your struggles, your trials, your temptations, your sins, he sees Jesus and he smiles. For everyone who has trusted Jesus, that is such good news. And God is right to do so because God has identified himself with my sin and he allows me to identify myself with his righteousness. Next slide. 
I am so excited that today we are going to be having several uh, baptisms. What, five baptisms, Ron? Five uh, high schoolers and middle schoolers who have trusted in Jesus Christ for that free gift of everlasting life. And it is a beautiful thing. Not because the baptism does anything. It's not a work. It doesn't earn my life. It doesn't earn God's approval. But rather, it is an outward expression or display of what has taken place inside. Because when I'm baptized, I become immersed in the water. That's what baptism basically means, to dip or immerse. And, and I become identified with the wetness, the water. It, I am placed in it. And I don't know, maybe if I drink a little bit, it's placed inside of me too. Normally, we don't do that in our baptisms. But the basic idea is there. We become identified with Christ publicly because that has already happened in us from the moment we trusted in Him. He is identified with my sin and never has to be paid for. I never have to go to hell because of it. And I am identified with His righteousness. I don't know... This is something that is hard for us, even as Christians, to struggle uh, to, to, to grasp and to grab hold of. But this is the essence of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. This is what separates us from the whole rest of the world. The fact is that the work of Jesus Christ, the work He did on the cross, the work He did uh, when He rose from the dead, the work of Jesus Christ is complete, sufficient, abounding, and full. So, I am called to trust, believe, be persuaded by, and be confident, confident in His work alone. And if that is true, that means that I must never, Never depend on my work, my effort, my discipline, or my obedience to add to, replace, supplement, or prove what He alone can do. That is the message of grace. That is what separates us, separates Christianity from every other religion, every cult, everything that warps the gospel, warps that message. It is through Jesus Christ alone. It is because we couldn't have earned it, but He did. And He, identifying Himself with us, allows us to identify with Him because we trust in Him and not in ourselves. That is what we are declaring when we say that we believe the Gospel, and that is especially what we declare when we are baptized. And so I want to... Um, we are in just a moment after we pray. We're going to... Um, head out and we are going to be seeing this, these baptisms. It's going to be wonderful. Let's all pray for ourselves and especially for those who have chosen to be baptized today. Lord Jesus, what good news that we in ourselves and in our strength are basically horrible people. Jesus, it doesn't seem like good news. It is counterintuitive. It's not what we think is right, but it is true. It is right. And it is good news because, Jesus, you identified us with our brokenness, our pain, our sin, and our death. And you allowed us to identify ourselves with your life, your goodness, your righteousness, your wholeness. 
not because we earn it, but because we trust in your work that you have done on our behalf. Jesus, help us to honor you, to love you, to follow you. And for those who have chosen to be baptized today, Lord Jesus, we praise you for them and the declaration that they are choosing to make of their trust in you. Lord, help us to honor you with the unity that we show between our our, uh, churches and, and this Bible camp and everyone here who is from all three of those and from elsewhere. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We love you and glorify your name. And it's in your precious name, Jesus, that we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Now, at this time, I believe Ron 